Welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast, where we explore how high-level leaders think and prosper in complex business environments. Each episode takes a deep dive into how these leaders balance the complexity of business in our ever-changing world with their own quest for a meaningful and prosperous life. This is Sharon Spano, and welcome to the Other Side of Potential podcast. Before we begin, let me remind you about my latest book, The Pursuit of Time and Money. It's about redefining your experience of these two most important resources, and as the subtitle suggests, an opportunity to step into radical abundance and discover the secret to a meaningful and prosperous life. You can go to SharonSpano.com for a free download of the first chapter. Join me today in welcoming my guest, Lindsay Epperly Sulik. Lindsay is the founder of Epperly Travel, which is a boutique travel firm that specializes in customizing four and five star vacations across the globe. Lindsay is a young and up and coming entrepreneur who started her company in 2014 with a goal of offering a unique approach to travel, and that her firm places customer service at the very center of their business model. Something I think we'd all agree just doesn't happen much these days, particularly when we're relying on the internet for our travel choices. Lindsay also has a passion for mentoring travel advisors in the industry to greater success via a very interesting mentorship program that I'll ask her to say more about. And I've asked Lindsay to be on the show because she exemplifies the heart and soul of this new generation of entrepreneurs that you often hear me rave about. And they're rising up more and more in today's marketplace, which I think is so very exciting. I'm equally fascinated by her energy and commitment to an industry that I think many of us might have considered, quote, dead due to the availability of online travel choices. Also, most of her travel advisors are remote. So here we are again, exploring the fascinating opportunities before business leaders today as they dive into remote options for increased scalability. So get ready, listeners. I can't wait for you to learn more about how Lindsay Epperly Sulik integrates her own quest for a meaningful life with the energy required to scale a growing global business in such a specific niche market. Welcome, Lindsay. I'm honored to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Sharon. I really appreciate you having me. Well, I know you're very busy and I want to get into this as quickly as possible. But before I get into the questions that I have for you, um, give us a glimpse into how it is that you came to find yourself in the travel industry. Tell us that story. Yeah, absolutely. It was such a fun, I guess, serendipitous moment. I was 19 years old, so still in college, and I was home the summer. Uh, she walked into a local travel agency because my family was going on a cruise, and my mom sent me on an errand to pick up a brochure. And I walked out of that with a job selling travel. It was one of those, you know, you're 19 and you say yes to all opportunities type of moments. But I, I happened to talk to the owners of the agency about the study abroad I had just been on, and and they said, you know. We think you'd be pretty good at, at, you know, helping your friends and family, especially since you're young, college age, working around honeymooners. Why don't you give it a go? And so I did, and I fell absolutely in love with it. So that's that's um, now we're ten years later, and here you are now with your own company, recently married. Uh, what was the the big leap into knowing? Yeah, I want to go for it and 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 just do what I can to create a, a global business here at a time when I think you know the average bear might have went, oh no no, you know travel travel agencies are dead. Uh, everybody just does their own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, while I was doing it for another company, I was seeing how cool it was that as a millennial, I could affect a change in the travel industry. So that was my first light bulb of, okay, there's something more to this. And I am really conveniently placed at the at the right time in the industry to be able to make waves. So that was encouraging to me. Um, it was also encouraging, I think, really and truly when you're debating on whether or not to be a business owner, you're really looking at the market and saying, can I do it better? And I could absolutely answer, yes, I can do it better. I can place a focus on customer service. I can help the people on my team understand their value. We can really, really do a good job of customizing luxury vacations for clients that appreciate a modern touch. So I knew that those things were were opportunities that I could see as going into it. 
I've also grown up very entrepreneurial. My father was an entrepreneur. I, I learned from him as I was growing up. So I always knew that I wanted to be a business owner. So when that, that kind of crux came for me to make the leap from being an agent to being an owner, it was a natural flow for me. It was something I always knew that I would do. Um, but I just got to a point where I was like, all right, the time is right. And, uh, and that was back in 2014 when we launched Epperly Travel. So tell me what's, um, because I, I think, and maybe this is just my assumption, but I think that people in my generation assume that your generation does everything online and more and more, even in my generation are doing that. Um, what are you seeing as kind of the trend in the industry? And then I want you to tell us what's unique about what you're doing at Epperly. Yeah, absolutely. It's such an interesting thing, I think, to study the the trends within the travel industry because the the industry when it comes to the agent side of things is I mean, even the technology is is dated because there was a, a time where it really stood still when the internet first came out. So not only did the technology stand still on the agent side of things, but also the workforce. So you saw this gap of people not entering into it as a viable career because as most people thought, the industry was dying. So what wound up happening was the internet has now produced way too much information. It's completely impersonal. People have to crowdsource their answers and it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the people they're asking. So the industry turned very relationship driven. And that's where you see this cropping up of luxury travel advisors, many of which succeeded through that internet revolution, but many of which are completely new. A lot of millennials or people going into this as a second or third career choice because it wasn't available as their first career choice when they were getting into the career field, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, So it's this interesting resurgence that focuses on um, relationships. So we can give our clients something that the internet can give them, which is customized advice, personal attention to detail and customer service uh, that they're not able to get by spending hours and hours on Google. And that's another thing that I think that not only millennials value, but every generation values any sort of service that can give them back their time and money because they're not having to spend all of that you know, time. They're not having to potentially waste their money on a once in a lifetime trip that didn't live up to their expectations. They're outsourcing those decisions and, and that trust to a company like Epperly Travel. Well, I think you've stated that very well. So let me just tell you what's coming up for me because I, I think I'm I'm somewhat of a hybrid and that I do a lot of my local travel online. But even that is painful. I mean, just yesterday trying to to book, you know, a flight to Detroit, it's like, oh geez just so much, you know, time and energy, um, you know, and, and I, I'm, I'm thinking like for overseas trips or whatever, I have always used a travel agent, but I also do a little research or you know, actually quite a bit of research up front to know these are the places I want to go. These are the kind of places I want to stay in all of that. I love what you're talking about the relationship component, because that's pretty much what we're seeing in every industry today. Um, you know, if you're not focusing on that first, you're, you're probably not going to be in business too long. But but I, I, when you talk about the internet, you know, and I think I shared this story w- with you, you know, what comes to my mind is being in, in uh, Rome years ago, and it was actually Christmas Eve, and we were at the Vatican, and we came out of the big mass with the Pope, which we were lucky to get into, and it was just kind of this very very moving experience and millions of people and you can't even get a, a taxi. And we wound up waiting this long line, getting in a cab with this young couple. It was their first time in Italy. And we shared the cab because there weren't many available and it was cold and people were just trying to get back to their, their you know, wherever they were staying. And we dropped them off in this part of Rome near the Vatican, which is not the safest place to be. Like I was really worried about leaving this young couple there. They, and they, you know, again, never been in Italy and they had selected this on the internet. And my guess is thinking, oh, it's near the Vatican. This is a cool place and it probably fit their price point. But, but that's the kind of stuff that always scares me when people say, oh, well, you know, we researched the internet and it looks great and we're, we're staying, you know, here or there. Um, so somewhere in the middle of people who are doing that and people who are hybrids like me, you're offering a very specific service, which you, you refer to as luxury travel. So tell me how that uh, falls out. I mean, is it only for the highest elitist individuals or are you serving the average person, but just giving them more customer service? Paint a picture for me as to what it is that you're doing. 
Great question. So we specialize in four and five star vacations. So if what you're considering falls into that category, we are a good fit for what you're looking for. Now, that being said, I don't think luxury has to be over the top expensive. I don't think it has to be only the nicest of nice. I think that that luxury can really be open to interpretation and to the point of even what you're describing that happened to you in Rome. And if that was several years ago, that was probably before Airbnb came on the scene, which is now a huge thing. And that's something we take into consideration that some of our clients, especially if they're traveling to Europe, they might even want a couple nights in an Airbnb. And that is a-okay. They book that part separately, but when they want that wow factor hotel or they want the private car and driver around the city because they want to make sure they don't miss the most important parts of the trip, to your point, some people are hybrids. And that's why we customize each and every trip we plan. Now, with that being said, something like Airbnb or a VRBO rental or anything like that, there's no way to vet the quality. There's no level of accountability above you going, picking up the key and walking in and hoping for the best. So for us, that's why we say, listen, we're not going to touch that. That is going to be a completely separate entity and separate beast from what we do. What we do is work with the properties that we know are going to be up to standards. And not only that, that we're going to have connections at. So God forbid something goes wrong. We have the general manager's phone number that we can call and make sure our clients are taken care of. So it's really a matter of, I'd say, if if people are deciding whether to use a luxury travel agency, it's a matter of asking yourself, how important is this trip for you? If it's something you can't get wrong, please don't take the chance of just booking it yourself online because you could very well get it wrong that way. Well, it's very easy to get it wrong. And I, and I, I, you know, just bringing up so many memories for me because I think of my first trip to Europe and I used someone um, who was doing at that time uh, something similar to what you're describing. And um, I just want to say for listeners, I mean, to have uh, someone book excursions for you or like in our case we had uh, guides in multiple cities uh, the most important being the Vatican where you, and rather than wait in a line that wraps all around the Vatican and you're in line all day to get in um, we were in had a two-hour tour and then we're able to stay and do whatever we wanted to do on our own for as long as we wanted and so I'm thinking about not only money but time and convenience and I know so many people that have taken trips and done, you know, all the right things, uh, and then they turn out to be a disaster because they don't know, as I said earlier, the area, or, you know, like you come in on a cruise, and then you take a bus um, into town and and back and forth, you know, and you you don't even get to see the town because, uh, not that there's anything wrong with cruises, but I'm saying there's just so many different ways to create a great travel experience. So, I'm happy to know uh, what you're doing here, and I'm happy to know that you're differentiating yourselves from the Airbnb opportunities because those are, I think, they're they're viable, and obviously they're working for a lot of people. But they, there are risks involved there as well. Now, what would you say then to someone? Because this is the pushback I get a lot when people ask me uh, about travel. Um, they feel like the added expense of an of a travel agent. They they feel like they don't want to spend the money to have someone uh, figure all that out for them. Absolutely understand that. And and when you think about it, and I, I'm curious what people think that the added expense is, because I think that a lot of times they have this idea that it's going to be thousands of dollars on top of their trip to use an agent. And I will point out that there is no one standard way of doing business in the travel industry. There's actually almost no barrier to entry for people to become an agent. So if someone ever, ever talk to someone, you kind of get that red flag feeling of this doesn't sound right. It very well could not be right. So make sure you do your research on getting the right travel advisor for you. I put that out there as a disclaimer. Now, that being said, an agency like ours, we do charge fees for every trip that we plan. But we're talking about fees that range between $250 to $475 for a leisure getaway, meaning a vacation, even if it's a 14-day customized trip through Europe. And if you think about that number in comparison to what people are spending on the trip itself, which is, I mean upwards of five to $10,000 usually just as a ballpark, depending on what the nature of the trip is. That's a pretty nominal amount to hire someone to have on your side with the level of service and attention to detail that a company like ours does. So if, if you're scared off by a couple hundred bucks to get someone like that, then probably you should do it yourself, you know? But if, if you value that time, expertise, those connections, I think it's a steal. And that's what we wind up most of our clients say is, 
So is that price per person? And we're like, no, that's the flat fee for your trip. And they'll get back and say, gosh, that was totally worth it. And, and that's what you're paying for our service. Now, that doesn't seem like a sustainable model, though, on your end. So if I, and you don't have to answer this if I'm not trying to get into the secrets behind the business, but I'm curious and always have been um, if because you're selecting certain vendors and hotels and different things, do travel agents, generally speaking, get some kind of um, remuneration for bringing clients to their venue, venues or anything like that? Yes. And this is actually a great question. I'm happy to be an open book about it because I think it's wise for, for travelers to understand how it all works. But yes, most agents will get paid some sort of commission or back end for sending clients to that particular venue or hotel. So that is where we can get extra incentives. Now, the thing about that is, and what I train all of my agents is the reason that we charge fees is we don't want to be driven by those extra incentives. We are hired by our clients, not by the hotels. And I think if you're working just for commission or you're working just for the back-end perk, that can kind of sway the way that you serve your customers. So that's actually why we became a service-based agency. We were at one point commission-based before I launched the company. And um, and I just saw that it can, it can taint the waters. That's actually why I... A big reason that I left a previous company that I was with is I saw how easy it is for agents to just pad stuff and not be transparent with their clients. And, and I hated that. Well, I commend you on that because I've always had good travel experiences because I've used people such as yourself. Um, but I can think of one or two instances where maybe the hotel wasn't quite what it could have been or should have been, yet I paid a premium price for it. Um, and and I kind of felt like, okay, this is just someone you know, they're doing business with there and it works for them, but it didn't necessarily work for us. And so um, it's just such an interesting business to me. One, because I love to travel, but then let's segue over because you're going above and beyond uh, with this mentorship program. And I know this is a big passion for you. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, the mentorship program is actually really the the core of the reason that I launched Everly Travel was because I, I started saying, okay, I've done this now for, I think it was five years at the time. And I think I can help other people do it. But I figured pretty much everything out on my own. I was a completely independent contractor. I was 19 years old when I started. So everything I learned, I learned from the school of hard knocks. And I love the idea of helping people avoid some of those pitfalls. Of course, to learn, you've got to fall into some of them. But if I can serve as a mentor and help people succeed, and not only that, to actually elevate the travel community as a whole by churning out agents who are smart and respectful and resourceful. So our suppliers are excited to work with us and our our clients are excited to work with us as well. I think that's a win-win for the travel industry as a whole. Um, As I mentioned before, it's an industry where there's not a lot of barrier to entry. So you do get a lot of people that really haven't received any sort of training whatsoever. And if they're resourceful and they're hustling, that can be okay. But Sometimes it can be a bit of a nightmare and then you turn another client off of working with a travel agent entirely if they've worked with a bad one. Yeah, it reminds me very much of the real estate industry. You know, you have people coming in who uh, often have very little background in business or sales uh, and then, boy, that's your agent, you know. So my husband has a brokerage firm here in town. He's a land developer who who has that kind of as an additional business. And that was that was part of our passion when I helped him uh, think about the infrastructure and the values for the organization as we wanted to do it differently, at least with the the people that, you know, he was recruiting and teach them that, you know, know their standards and ways to interface and be very customer focused and not just about, you know, closing the deal at, at you know, any cost kind of thing. Um, so that, that was, it was just a, and it has been a very exciting journey. And we'd like to think we've changed some people's lives along the way as we've implemented, you know, core values and things of that nature into that specific industry in our own small way. So it's exciting, very exciting. Now tell me then, because um, I want to hear more about the remote. How many advisors do you have out there? How do you manage growing, scaling the business uh, and still keeping them engaged and, and uh, you know, growing them up as you, as you will along the way? 
yeah, this whole remote workforce thing has been, I think, one of the coolest innovations that we've been able to offer our team. And so we actually have a team of 11 independent contractors who are located everywhere from here in Atlanta to out in San Francisco, up in Ohio. We've got people all over. Uh, and then we have four internal people in the office here in Atlanta that I work alongside, including myself. And with each mentorship program, we've typically been bringing on between four to six agents at a time. And I'm very intentional. I don't want to bring on 20 people at once because that doubles your team size overnight. And we really are all about being boutique and creating a community for our agents once they are on the team. So we've been able to do all of this over Zoom, really. And it's kind of been a matter of just figuring out what sticks. You know, how do you recreate a water cooler atmosphere that you find in an office, but do it over Zoom? And, And that's been a really fun challenge. I'd say that we're constantly still learning every day how to best support our agents in that way. Um, Conversely, what's really cool is that they can do this job from anywhere because we're working with our clients all over phone and email. So, I mean, I travel typically at least once a month for the past 10 years and very rarely put up and out of office because I'm able to maintain my book of business and and serve our clients well, even if I'm on a completely different time zone, which has been just the, the really neat thing about the way that we do it on a more modern basis. I know. I don't know how we did business without Zoom, right? You and I are on it right now. I, I, I swear I am, I am literally connecting and have relationships with people all over the world through Zoom. Like we have meetings with people from all over Europe that I'm, that I'm involved in. And it, it's, just, it's just an awesome time, isn't it? I mean, to know that we can do this, this kind of work through something uh, like that amazing platform. That we have never even met before because we've gotten to know them over Zoom. And they'll meet time a lot of times on some of our trips where we get the team together. And it's like, oh, I recognize your face from that, you know, little Brady Bunch style square boxes that we see on the calls every month. And it's so fun. I mean, I, of course, you can never really replace entirely the human connection that is in person. But I think you can supplement it. And, and positions that work for, you know, 1099 independent contractors that do oftentimes feel like they're isolated and working only from their home, it's a great tool to be able to bring a community together. Well, I mean, we're on it now for the sake of the listeners. And and the other thing, um, and, and Zoom, you could send Lindsay and I our commission check at any point in time. I mean, we're, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but but uh, I'm thinking that um, it's, it's such a wonderful opportunity. And then as you grow, and I'm, I know you're aware of this, many of the uh, the CEOs out there who have platforms that have scaled to, uh, you know, those places where they finally know, okay, we need to bring them together. They often do it like once a year for a summit or some kind of leadership forum or whatever. Um, and that that's always a potential that's out there too, once you find yourself in that place. Now, let me ask you then, so we've got the mentorship program. I want to just get clear, we understand the business. And then also, um, there must be someone, you maybe some of those internal members who are going out and about the business of creating uh, these packages or, or uh, relationships with vendors, hotels, you know, all of that sort of thing. Is that is that fair to say? That's correct. And I'd actually say that's a hat that we all wear. So our relationships with our suppliers are key to us doing a great job with our clients. They are who deliver amazing experiences and make us look like rock stars. So I'll give you an example, just to kind of hone in on exactly what I mean by our customer service. Before our clients leave, we send them over a little questionnaire, just getting their preferences, anything we need to know if you're celebrating a big anniversary or anything like that. And we'll find out things in those preferences that we're able to incorporate in their stays. So for example, we'll have people that say, yeah, we're celebrating our anniversary. And and we'll say, well, what song did you dance to when you got married? What was your wedding song? And they'll tell us and think nothing of it. And then we'll go to our suppliers who we have these relationships with and we'll say, have that playing in their room when they walk in. So they get really cool experience. And we, we try to find different ways with each client to deliver that wow factor moment. But if we didn't have the vendor relationship on, on the back end, there's no way we could actually, you know, make that happen. Yeah, that's very cool. I love that kind of stuff. So just, just as we segue to the questions I have for you, I have, I have one final about the business and certainly if there's any more you want to add, you know, let's, let's cover that as well. But I'm curious if there's someone out there listening who is interested in getting into the industry and, and perhaps even, you know, affiliated with, with Epperly Travel, what is the ideal advisor that you're looking for? I mean, what is the criteria? 
Yeah, that's a great question. It's really one I've had to dive into the past few months as we develop this mentorship program even further because we've been getting so many applicants and I want everyone to succeed. But you do have to really be in a place where you can you can hustle. I mean, that is the number one thing. It is a completely sales-based job. So you've really got to be out there marketing yourself. You can't be afraid to get in front of people and and really what our mentorship program does is we teach you a lot of the business aspect of it. So it's someone that is sharp. They certainly don't have to have any sort of MBA to their name. I don't have an MBA to my name. It serves as a little business school that helps them, you know, create and mold their own book of business towards success. So it's really the hustlers, it's people that are intelligent. And then I'd say finally, for us, we're so about our values that as long as people resonate with that, if they want to be serving clients, they want to be focusing on that high priority of customer service, that is a home run person for us that's focused on that because anyone can book a trip. But we really need those values to have that kind of heart and soul relationship that we have with one another and with our clients. So are there specific values that you could enumerate? Yeah, absolutely. Our company has our values, which um, we're grateful. We create fun and celebrate constantly. We believe in the value we add. And um, and we're just all about like promoting those and helping others. When I, I say believe in the value we add, that's kind of my favorite because a lot of times we stand in this position and a, and a lot of our team is females too. So I think that this kind of goes down that rabbit hole of of a lot of times we find it harder to ask for the sale or we find it harder to name our value. And so I'm about trying to pump that into my team so they understand like there is a reason that we exist. There is a reason that we're serving people. And because to your point, a lot of the questions we get asked is, well, why would we use you and not the internet? And it can sometimes feel degrading, you know, that you're asked that all the time. So it's it's really believing in who you are and what you can bring to the table. Um, and those are the things I try to pump into every single one of our agents, which I, I'm super passionate about. It's kind of interesting because I feel like in certain industries, while we're doing it differently, the pendulum is swinging back the other way where, you know, f- for a while it was sort of like, well, if you didn't book it on the internet, you weren't happening. You know, now we're going back to, well, it's about relationship and connectivity and having that level of support and expertise around you. And um, it's kind of fun, don't you think? I mean, to think about how we're, because we're, we're in such an evolutionary period of history. So I think what you're doing is taking something that has existed, but kind of uh, ran its course to some degree. And now you're bringing it back to, uh, again, that integration of the power of the internet and all that's available to us. But then again, focusing on what the consumer needs in a way that I know many of us still crave. I don't care what generation you're in. We still want that care. It's, it's now the internet's become drinking from a fire hydrant. And how do you have someone that is your guide to help you interpret what all of this means? And that's exactly what we are. Um, I'd even add as well, you had, you had mentioned if, if anyone out there is listening and is interested in this career path, um, on our website on epperlytravel.com, we have a careers tab where you can actually just input your email address and we send you over a PDF that we've created called the four keys to success as a travel advisor. Um, and it's really the things that I didn't think anyone was talking about correctly in the travel industry. So I created this document of telling people what to expect. If you are going to go this as a career path, you know, it's hard when you first start, it's, it's a year, year and a half of building up a book of business and it can feel lonely and isolating. So we made this document so people could get in the headspace. And what we've really seen is people either read it and say, ah, that's not for me. Or they read it and they say, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So if anyone is slightly curious, that's a a free resource that you can use. Awesome. Thank you for that. And we'll be sure to have that in the show notes as well. Well, let me segue if I can into some of the more personal questions that I have for you, Lindsay. And you mentioned a moment ago about, you know, the values. And so I wanted to ask you then at the deepest level of meaning to you, what do you believe is the essence of your work? Oh my gosh. I would say the essence of my work going back to that, we believe in the value that we add. I personally, I just have this soft spot in my heart about helping others find their worth. And I think it's because it's been such a a personal journey for me um, that the fact that I can actually incorporate that into a company and, and, and on a professional level, I can know and empathize with what my advisors are feeling. So, you know, when, when they lose a sale or something negative happens, and I mean, I, I think every single one of them nearly at this point has called me crying. I can relate and I can help pick them up and set them on the right path. And that is a huge personal cause of mine. So it's 
no matter how big this company grows, that is extremely important for me to continue pouring into us. Well, that's a that's a, that's very well said. And I'm curious, though, and let me be the devil's advocate for just a moment for anyone listening out there, because someone might say, well, that's beautiful. You believe in the value that you add. But come on, we're talking travel here. And, you know, that's for those guys. And what what difference does it make in the in the grand scheme of things? So I, I feel, though, like there's something more here. Uh, at a far deeper level that you are that you really care about. So if we think about you, the added value, um, and as you've described it as the essence of your work and all that you're doing to maybe uh, cause this industry to go to another level and to help people embrace success along the way for those who choose this industry, in what way do you think your work contributes to the greater good? Oh, that's such a fantastic question. I mean, you know, the easy answer is talking about our charitable projects and our giving that we do. But the the more intricate answer, I would say, is beyond pumping that value and that belief into my advisors. Um, and if people ever just look at it and say, oh, you're just planning trips. It's, you know, really what kind of big deal could that be? I'd love to point to an example. Um you know, we get to plan big trips all the time, giant celebrations. We get to plan trips where people are celebrating their 50th anniversary and taking their entire family. And it's the first time they've all been in one place in years and years. And that's a really, really special. Um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional in talking about this, but we also have been gifted the opportunity to plan people's last trips. Mm, and wow. it is the most powerful and the most moving experience that you could be as a very humble facilitator of someone who's dying wishes to go to Hawaii with their family. And you can do the most amazing things there. You can arrange a private photographer because these are the last pictures they're going to have together. And, uh, and those are the things that I think, me, when I'm playing travel advisor role and I get to step into something like that, it turns my whole world around and it makes me have an amazing perspective on life and what we do. And then from the agency ownership side, it's, wow, you know, what we do really matters. And I, I truly believe that. That's so beautifully stated. And I thank you for sharing that because that's really where I was hoping you would go. I feel like, I mean, travel is something very dear to me and something you and I did not talk about that I often, um, if it's appropriate, bring into the discussion is I had a son with a very rare metabolic disorder who was wheelchair bound, who loved to travel. And um, I know exactly what you're describing because Michael, um, he was with the wheelchair, it was difficult. Um, and we never traveled overseas with him because it was just too difficult, but we did a lot in country and his last trip, um, of course we didn't know at the time it was going to be his last trip. My son passed away in 08, but, uh, he wanted to go on an Alaskan cruise, which I, I'm not a cruise person. Uh, I like the long boats, you know, uh, in Europe, but I, I'm not a big, it's just too big of a crowd for me. And, um, but we did it because Michael wanted to do it and it turned out to be again, the last trip, but then our travel agent planned all these other before and after, you know, in the cities that we were going into and, and leaving from Vancouver being the, the city that we left from to get back to Florida. And it was uh, one of the most beautiful trips. And, and what I would say to listeners who maybe don't understand the magnitude of travel and the way that you're talking about it, Lindsay, is, and my son was critical the last four years of his life, and he was pretty much you know, delirious. I mean, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know me, didn't know my husband. And what he talked about in that delirium were his travel experiences. Like literally one day he, he'd be in Alaska and one day he'd be in Chicago and one day he'd be, you know, and he'd talk about all these places. And, and what it taught my husband and I was thank God that we created those memories for him. He never talked about being in the wheelchair or being in and out of hospitals. He was always talking about these places. And it really, uh, and it's something we, we preach to family and friends everywhere is, you know, life, so much of life is about creating memories. And I think if I could speak to what is your contribution to the greater good, I would say you help people create memories. Absolutely. Gosh, thank you for sharing that. That was so touching. And, and I had no idea that you'd gone through that, but I mean, how grateful you are now for those memories. That's exactly what it is. And, and we know that we are just a very, very small part of that. You know, I mean, we're just on the back end behind a computer half the time, haven't even met our families that we're working with. But by the end of it, we feel like we're part of them. Well, yeah, and I could see why. I mean, I'm just flashing through all the different places that we went. And then after Michael passed, we were able, 
uh, to do trips overseas. Uh, and actually, you know, felt the need to do that because I, I was having trouble going anywhere we'd been as a family. Uh, I can do that now. But um, we were blessed, you know, to be able to do some overseas trips. And, and that's become a big part of our life now to create new memories for us as a couple. Because when you lose a child, you have to reintegrate who you are as a couple now. It's a whole different thing. You're no longer a family. He was our only child. Now you're a couple. So how do you, you, you move forward with new memories? So travel is a very big part of that for us. And I'm blessed to be able to do that. But for the sake of the listeners, uh, I want to add not only the value of an organization, a company such as yours, but the, the importance of travel. And what I find in the United States is so different from Europe, because as you know, they're smaller and they can get on a train and be in another country in a couple of hours. But in the States, it's almost, um, I don't feel like travel is valued as much as much across the board. You know, it seems to there seems to be some notion that it's you know for those guys and and not us. You know what I'm talking about now outside of the country, and I I think people like you can change that perception because I think it's a part of growth, and it's a part of people stepping into um, different kinds of relationships. I feel like people really change when you're exposed to other cultures and other ways of being. Um, so I could go on and on with my philosophy about travel, and maybe that's just me trying to justify <laughs> the expense. I don't know, but it's changed my life. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but what you're seeing is completely accurate. Americans are the number one culture that goes without these unused vacation days and without taking advantage of traveling the world because we're so focused on work and progress and success. And, and we don't stop to think about how can travel actually be part of our success. I mean, I personally become a better business owner because of the things that I'm seeing while I'm traveling. And that's not just because I'm in the travel business. It's because I will have ideas spark as an entrepreneur that I would not have had in my day to day. And and so you're spot on. If people would get out there and do it, I think they'd actually be more successful in their work life, but they put their work life first oftentimes. Well, and, and I'll, and I'll end this, this piece with this, because I, I want to ask you some other questions more about you and get off my soapbox here. But I, I guess the, the bottom line I'd, I'd like to to add for listeners is it just requires planning. You know, I remember saving for quite a few years for that first trip to Italy. You know, you, you just have to plan for it and rather than say, oh, no, I, I don't get to do that. And then, and then access a company like yours to help make that first trip a reality. So I'll, I'll, I'll get off of that. I probably should do a solo cast, cast on travel because I believe in it so much. But then let me, let me then, uh, thank you for answering my questions about the essence of your work and stirring up all those memories for me. Um, uh, but I want to ask you also then going back to your earlier years and, and being this um, really uh, self-made entrepreneur and the experience that you had with your dad and all that, what is the first thing I always like to ask the question that you remember then learning about money? Oh, that's a great question because I've always been told that your view of money is completely crafted around what your parents' view of money was. And so I am, I'm so fortunate to have the parents that I have. I'm an only child. I'm super close to them. And my dad was a self-made entrepreneur. He built a chain of tire stores that he sold um, actually the year that I launched Epperly Travel. They were called Epperly Tire. So I was like, I'm just taking the name. And, uh, and my mom stayed home, but she actually had a, a stay-at-home cake business. So really, in essence, they both were entrepreneurs. And the earliest thing I would say I learned about money was specifically from my dad. He always had the mentality of easy come, easy go. And I remember I can chart how his success went just based off of the neighborhoods we would live in as I grew up and based off of you know the way that lifestyle might change slightly, but but the the mindset never changed. Like he he and my mother were always the most good to their core, down-to-earth, humble people, no matter what success did to them. And the, the thought was always, easy come, easy go. You could lose it tomorrow just like you earned it. You know, I mean, it, it, it always really affected me. And it didn't put me into a fear mentality. It put me into a place of humility where that's not what you're going to worship at the end of the day. It's not going to be money. Well, it's fascinating because I see I hear this from a lot of entrepreneurs, and and often, um, you know, my husband's favorite saying that I'm often heard to to recount is, uh, "You can't hunt from the cave," uh, and I I love that because I feel like entrepreneurs kind of live in that framework, whatever the mantra is of we just need to go out and create what we need, and so that's how I'm I'm attaching easy come. Someone out there who's maybe in a job they hate might not feel like easy come, right? But I think for the entrepreneur, 
it's that innovation and creativity that we know we can access. Uh, is that what you feel your father meant when he used that languaging? It is. And you know what? If he were to dissect it, and if I were to dissect it even more, I think the easy come part would be completely changed because you're so right. None of it's easy come. Even right. even when you, you are you know the CEO or the founder or whatever, it's hard. It's always so hard. And I think outside looking in is possibly the easy come mentality. I think we were less focused on that when he would say that. And it was more about the easy go part where, hey, listen, don't let this rule you. That was how I always interpreted it. Exactly. And then in a sales-driven organization, you know, we know that you always got to have, the, it's, it's the numbers game. So it's next, 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 next. I mean, you can't let one uh, defeat define you. That, that contract or that client didn't come into fruition. So, okay, I just need to move on. That wasn't meant to be, but there's the next one. And I think that's, that's where you kind of cut the wheat from the chafe, if, if I'm sure uh, I'm understanding you correctly, is not everyone might be a, a fit for your organization because you said they have to hustle. They have to understand that you know, there's, there's sales involved. Yes, we are all about the customer, but you still have to do the day-to-day work in order to create those results. Absolutely. I look at my business model and what we're doing is, is kind of the Chick-fil-A of travel, where they have a huge focus. Everyone knows it on customer service, but equally they have a focus on excellence. So it's a matter of you can serve your customer great all you want, but if your store's failing, there's a problem. So you, you know, the it's of course the financial aspect is important. This is a business, it has to run like a business. It's you know, it's not a nonprofit. But um, but it's it's kind of having that dual focus almost without letting money be your guide. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's not the driver. Yeah. It's the outcome, perhaps, in, yeah. in one sense. And I, I'm a big believer, actually, and I hope this doesn't get too hippy-dippy, but, but the idea of abundance mentality, which is not the natural way of us to live. You know, we, we tend to live in fear, and especially as a business owner or a salesperson, you almost think, oh gosh, the pipeline's drying up. Like, I think it every day. I think whenever the last phone call happens, it's the actual last phone call. And if you start really focusing on the idea of abundance and shifting your mindset on, no, it's not we're good. We're doing a good work. We're doing a good job. One foot in front of the other, it's going to be okay. It's almost like it opens up this floodgate of more than you can handle, or at least that's what we've seen is, is that, that positive focus, that positive mindset really keeps things churning. Absolutely. And I, and I want to invite you to read my book on the pursuit of time and money, because that's exactly what it's about. Um, your agents would enjoy Perfect. that book. Will, yeah, yeah. I'd love to come and speak to your agents yeah, about it at yeah. some point. It'd be great. Yeah, oh, that's a great idea, Sharon. I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, because I, we're totally on the same page with this. I mean, I, I wrote the book because of all the scarcity I was seeing out there in the workforce. And so the book focuses on stewardship and, and just a lot of the premises that you and I are, are discussing uh, so much is about the mind and what it is that you value. Um, let me ask you this then. Um, I'm just curious, what is the one thing that you've gone about doing and achieving your success that no one knows about you? Oh, that's a fantastic question that no one knows about me. So, and I, you know, honestly, I try to live pretty openly so that that it never appears that I've just gotten here overnight. Um, but I would say probably the hard work that it took is something that people don't recognize. So I think a lot of times it's very easy to look at a 20-something female travel agent and think, well, that, that's really cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you were lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I always hear how lucky I was. Oh, how lucky you are. Or a step further, did daddy put you into business? Is that oh, why yeah. you're in Epperly Travel? And so that would always, you know, I've been at networking events where Lindsay Epperly with Epperly Travel and they say, oh, did your dad started. I'm like, why do you assume that? So it's just easy to assume that it was easy to get here. And so I think that's the thing that people probably don't know because you don't have an Instagram account that shows you crying in the car when you had <laughs> a really awful day. You know, no one's taking pictures of that. But it's really hard work. Um, and it's not just because it's the travel industry. I think the travel industry is a blast. Thank God we get to have a job where we celebrate people all the time. It's hard work starting this and building it from the ground up. I think I, I used to incorrectly think that businesses almost came in a box with a pretty bow tied on them. Even though my dad was doing his, I, I didn't see the level of depth that everything took, You know how many hats he had to wear. And, uh, and now that I've been doing it, and I'm because I built a really phenomenal team for the size that we are right now. We've got some amazing talent. Um, but getting to this point has been 
a, a supreme challenge. And it's the pride of my life that I've wrote it out. But there have definitely been times where I had to be talked off ledges of saying, all right, this is not for me. But it, it really, in my core, it is. I know it is. It's always just a matter of, you know, trusting yourself even in those difficult times. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point, Lindsay, and and I I just have to digress for a moment because I would say, uh, again, another assumption that, you know, people that might feel like, did daddy put you in the business? It's such a sexist comment because we would not say that to a young man who's got a thriving business, but you are young, you are beautiful, you're vivacious. And so, you know, there's, there's just sometimes I think it's easier to make the leap that, oh, yeah, this just happened for her rather than admit that, oh, yeah, she was crying in the car uh, till midnight last night because, you know, no one could ever imagine you with your mascara running, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's a new dawn. It's a you new have a reason. <laughs> I'm sorry? Or why would you even have a reason to cry in the car with your mascara running? Life is so easy. You've got to, you know, I mean, like people just look at it and think, well, you travel the world. It's not a big deal. And, and they don't see what goes yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah. So now you're newly married. How, how, because now that's another ball you've got to manage in the midst of, you know, your mentorship program and your commitment to, to internal customers as well as external customers. And then the relationships with uh, your suppliers and whatnot. How is that changing the game for you? How, what, what's, what are you having to do in order uh, to make all of that uh, blend together and integrate into a, what I hope is a, a purposeful life? Yeah. Well, you know, it's so funny. That was a great transition topic because being newly married, actually speaking to the question previously, has been one of the things that has been the biggest game changer for me. So my husband, Jeremy, when we got married last July, actually left his job as a financial analyst at Merrill Lynch and joined our company full time. Awesome. Yeah, it has been the coolest thing. I know a lot of people hear that and they imagine themselves with their spouse working daily and they're like, no way, no how, but we work very well together. And it did this very interesting thing, which was when we announced that that was happening, people were like, wait a minute. So this Epperly Travel thing is actually successful. You actually make it, you know, and so Mm -hmm. it had this interesting shift where, oh, wait, he's coming from a legitimate career. You know, I mean, that was no joke of a job at Merrill Lynch that he had and he had a great trajectory with it. And for him to make the decision, and by no means was it a small decision if we talked more about it than we probably talked about marriage, but for him to make the decision to come over to us. And so we've now been married for six months and working together for six months was a game changer for, I think, the way that our business is positioned. And also it brought this new level of talent where you know we have this new financial mind as part of it. So I say all of that to say, how am I balancing it all? Because I have the added... I don't even want to use the word challenge because it's actually really fun for us, but the added benefit of now working with my spouse. So, you know, we're, we're navigating those lines and what those mean and, and which hats we each wear. And, and that's just been, luckily we, we communicate very well, but it's been a really fun thing for the past few months. We were able to talk through and kind of figure out well, what drives you and what makes you tick because business Lindsay is a little bit different than home Lindsay and and how do we navigate what that looks like on a day-to-day basis so so I am very fortunate to have him in this with me now well I love that that uh, capability is um, an option for those of you starting out because I think it's far easier to I mean there, there's certainly the difficulty of growing a business there's no question about that but if you're going to do it together better to do it in the earlier stages of your marriage than later is would be Before my thought. yeah um because you well, my husband and I've tried to do that around the real estate piece and it was challenging at first because we we come from completely different uh businesses and so the the added advantage was I was bringing in you know what I knew and he had what he knew but but then there were some rocky elements around that because you know we just think so differently. Um, so I, I commend you for making this step, and I can see where it would uh, solidify and validate you as a business owner. And I also know um, that you have uh, Brian and Shannon uh, Miles, who I interviewed both of them. So they're they're kind of you guys are are buddies, as I'm understanding it, um, and they they're doing this quite well at being co CEOs. Uh, so you've got a good model to walk alongside into how do we figure out these different roles and integrate who we are as a as a couple in business together. Is that accurate? Oh, that is so accurate. Shannon was my mentor three or four years ago during a, a year-long mentorship program that she did, and she completely changed the trajectory of my life um, and, and really of this business. 
And what's so great is actually Brian does a uh, men's group every other year. And Jeremy is actually in that group this year. So he's going through that with him. So they could not be better role models. And I'll tell you, could not be better influencers, not just in our marriage, but also if you can find more people like them in this world, and if they can create more people like them, you know, that are pouring into other people, um, gosh, they're, they're just home run, home run people. So, I mean, there's the takeaway for any business owners out there that, you know, to realize there's an opportunity to mentor and, and bring others up along the way. And they don't necessarily even have to be in your in- industry. Uh, Cause I think sometimes entrepreneurs are so busy in their own world. They don't often consciously think about how to give back in those ways. And that's what I loved about the opportunity of talking to, to Brian and Shannon, because they each had different perspectives about the business, but yet they're united in how they go about, um, doing what they do and they do it really well. It was really a privilege to interview them and and equally so uh, to have you on the show, Lindsay. So I want to thank you uh, for all that you're doing out there and for the example that you're setting for young women out there in terms of what's possible for them in whatever career they choose. Thank you so much, Sharon. This was really an honor and and such a great conversation. I I appreciate you diving in as deep as you did and and taking it to the places that you took it. This is really, really fun for me. Well, I appreciate your being so vulnerable. And one final question as we near the top of the hour then, because I'm, I'm knowing that there are probably many millennials out there on the fence or struggling or, or maybe women wondering, can they do what their heart uh, is leading them to do? What might, what kind of advice or wisdom might you uh, offer them if they're stepping into or considering stepping into their own business? So when I was 25 is when I started Everly Travel. And I actually started it from a place of complete rock bottom insecurity. Life could not get any worse. And it was always an idea of just put one foot in front of the other and trust what you know is right, which was to start that business at that time. It was never a, I've got to be in the perfect place with the perfect idea that's going to make millions of dollars. It was never a pipe dream like that or feeling like you've got to be you know, perfectly lined up. So I would say if I can teach anyone anything, it's that you can absolutely start seizing your dreams and, and changing the direction of your life, no matter what spot that you're in. It's just putting that one foot in front of the other. And that's how you eventually get there. And then even today, I mean, with so little money to step in because of the platform capability that we have, you know, I, I think that's what's exciting to me is my niece, for instance, started her own business and, you know, literally just put up her website and started contacting people. Right. You don't have to have a ton of overhead in most many of the jobs that you can create, especially with a a virtual type community. That's the really cool stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you again. I hope we can connect again. And uh, uh, to listeners, I want to introduce you once again to Lindsay Epperly Sulik, my new travel advisor. And um, we will be in touch because I am one that really values someone like you, Lindsay. And I just wish you and your husband all the success in the world. Thank you so much, Sharon. I really appreciate it. One final thing. What's the easiest way? You mentioned the website. If people want to learn more about how to access Epperly Travel or the unique services you offer. Yeah. Yeah. Check out www.epperlytravel.com. You can find everything from our client-facing services to our careers. If you're interested in becoming an advisor, we've got everything on there. Great. And she has a download on there. Don't forget. So listeners, I know that you have received a lot of wisdom and some pretty amazing things to consider if you're in business or thinking about getting into business from this in-depth conversation with Lindsay today. I'm going to challenge you, as I always do, to implement at least one of these strategies, one of these ideas over the next week. And then I'm going to challenge you, as I always do, to continue the process of personal and professional development, because remember that you cannot be big and small at the same time. But the good news is you get to choose, and I hope you will choose big. Until next time, here's to your highest potential. If you want to learn more, go to SharonSpano.com. That is S-H-A-R-O-N, Sharon, S-P-A-N-O, Spano.com. Or send an email to Sharon at SharonSpano.com.